Good morning, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's your boy Nightmare K-Hawk back at it again with another podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here again for the independent news, folks. I got six stories for you tonight. And <laughs> has freaking Britain gone completely insane? Like, I'm serious. Has the European Union completely lost their minds? Like, folks, this first story I'm about to go over about net zero and not heating your home is going to make your eyes fall out of your head. Like, literally, it's going to make your eyes fall out of your head because this is absolutely asinine. You can't make this shit up in a Hollywood film. You fucking can't. Like, you just fucking can't. Like, I took two weeks off, folks, because, of course, I had a tumor and it had to come out. And those of you who listen to my crypto and gaming show already know that. But, folks, you cannot make this shit up in a Hollywood film at all. Like, it's unfucking believable I take two weeks off, I come back, and the world goes completely nuts. Completely insane. Like, it's unbelievable, folks. But anyway, got six stories for you tonight, folks. It's probably not going to be a long show, and it doesn't have to be. But anyways, folks, let's get into this news. So, Brits boil over net zero. Millions told not to heat their homes at night to meet government goals. You would think I'd be kidding, and folks, this link will be in the description below, along with all the rest of the stories I'm going to be talking about tonight, but this is completely asinine. So Britain's Climate Change Committee, CCC, has urged millions of Britons to not heat their homes in, in the evening to help the government hit its net zero target. No, they are urging elites to, di- to ditch their private jets for commercial or not to burn a thousand of fuel, taking the yacht out for a for a spin, Chris Stark, head of the CCC, wants ordinary citizens to turn off their electric heaters, heat pumps at night as part of a wider drive to deliver emission savings, which includes a shift away from gas boilers, which Chris, a hypocrite, still has. Contained in a document on behavioral change, the CCC recommended that Britons instead preheat their homes in the afternoon when electricity use is lower and would theoretically save families money. There is significant potential to deliver emission savings just by changing the way we use our homes. This is complete bullshit, folks. Reads the CCC 6 Carbon Budget Paper, which lays out how the UK should reduce its emissions between 2033 and 2037. Where homes are significantly well insulated, it is possible to preheat ahead of peak times, enabling access to cheaper Tariffs, which reflect the reduced costs associated with running networks and producing power during off-peak times. Critical boil. The grid is already creaking and draft ideas like this shows just how much worse it will become. Andrew, the director of Net Zero Watch, told The Telegraph, it cleared, the, it cleared that renewables are a disaster in the making. We now need political leaders with the courage to admit it. And according to Tony, uh, Tory, excuse me, head of his party, Net Zero, it is becoming clear that the adherent to justify carbon budgets and edicts coming from the CCC are developing into farce. The Climate Change Act of 2008 will require amendment to free us from madcap and impractical target fostered upon the population by long deprived politicians. This latest advice to freeze 
ourselves on cold evidence on I mean on cold evenings merely shows that shows the truth that the dream of plentiful and cheap renewable energy is a sham. I came into po politics to improve all aspects of my constituents' lives, not make them colder and poorer, he told the telegram. Lower bills. The CCC insists that following the advice means homes will still be warm, but bills can be lowered, adding that a demonstration of homeownership benefiting from periods of the day when electricity is cheaper. Using electricity to heat a home opens the perspective of choosing a time when prices are lowered, something that's not possible with a gas boiler, he continued, adding, smart heating of homes like this also makes the best possible use of the grid and suggests greater use of cheap renewable generation. The advice following a, a fury over government plans to ban the installation of new oil-powered boilers from 2026 and force homes into adopting heat pumps. Downing Street has hinted it is now set to U-turn and warnings the move would increase rural fuel poverty and put more strain on the struggling electric grid. The CCC is an independent body set up by ministers in 2008 to advise the government how to hit its climate targets. In its latest report, the committee criticized uh, uh, number 10 over its worry slow action on climate. It states that Downing Street support for new oil and coal exploration and the expansion of airports meant Britain was no longer a global green leader, according to the Telegraph. Last month, Stark, the head of the CCC, admitted that he still has a gas boiler at home instead of an electric heat pump gas, and he's not alone. I have a gas boiler. I wish I didn't, but I live in a flat, and heat pumps are a very difficult thing to put in there. He told the Commons Environmental Audit Committee, the gas boiler guy who comes who comes round and fixes my gas boiler, it breaks very often, tells me they will never work. Do as Chris says, not as Chris does. So there you go, folks. This guy who's telling you to get rid of your freaking gas pump, oh, you know, from the CCC, the Climate Change Committee, but this guy can keep a gas pump in his freaking house? Come on, guys. See, this is what I keep trying to tell you, folks. This whole climate change agenda is an absolute scam. It's a fucking scam. It's a scam from the beginning. It is, it's never going to work. It's going to make you poor, hungry, and desperate, folks. I'm telling you right now. You're going to freeze to death. If you're in Britain right now and you listen to these clowns, you are going to freeze to death this winter. Absolutely, you're going to freeze to death. There's no way around that. These people are trying to kill you, folks. Without question, there's no doubt in my mind they're trying to kill you. That is crazy. But anyway, folks, let me know what y'all think about this article. So moving on, folks, we got the United States government agency invites organizations to help it accelerate adoption of digital ideas. Now, ladies and gentlemen, quick story about digital ideas real quick. So everybody knows I'm married, right? And my wife actually showed me something that her uh, employer has been doing for all their employees. Now, at my wife's job, she is required to have a digital ID, folks. She's required to have a digital identification, okay, on her smartphone, right? It's absolutely disgusting. It has a QR code on it. It's absolutely the ugliest thing you'll ever see. Um, she showed me it today, and it was absolutely disgusting. 
I mean, I was absolutely horrified when I saw that thing. Like, but this is the push they're pushing in the state of New York, folks. Now, they're trying to keep this a secret, but because my wife works for the state, I get the inside scoop. But I'm going to let you know as my audience that listens to this podcast that, look, this shit is happening, folks. Digital IDs are being pushed. It's absolutely the mark of the beast in my eyes. I mean, other people will tell you that it's not, but I think it is. Um, because without a digital ID, you're not going to be able to operate in society at all. Like, it's absolutely going to be a travesty. And people don't know what they're signing up for. They're going to be track and trace everywhere. That's what a smartphone is. It's a track and tracing device. That's what it is. Um, it's hackable. Um, anybody can steal your identity on a digital ID. It's absolutely disgusting. Digital IDs are the worst thing on planet Earth. I'd rather carry a physical ID. That's just me personally than a digital ID because it's absolutely asinine. But anyway, folks, let's jump into this article. So if you're tired of censorship and dystopian threats against civil liberties, there appears to be a real sense of urgency among various governments and international organizations and groups not only to be implemented, but to speed up as much as possible adoption of digital IDs. One of these entities is the U.S. government with the National Institute of Standard and Technology now inviting anyone with expertise and products to join the push for a speedy deployment of digital IDs on mobile devices. The National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence charged with implementing this project, which is public-private in nature, with development of reference infrastructure standards stated as the goal that those interested would be working on, it may or may not appease that many critics of digital IDs to learn that NIST is promising this infrastructure will be privacy-focused and secure. Yeah, right. Not to mention equitable and easy to not only adopt but also use. Yeah, sure it is. In other words, the government agencies on the one hand offering platitudes about privacy and security to cover the issue of the key criticism around the very concept implementation of digital IDs. And on the other, NIST is betting on convenience when it speaks of ease of adoption and use a, as, and use as a way to lure in as many people as fast as possible. The National Security, I mean Cybersecurity Center of Excellence is also saying that it is cybersecurity challenge that are to blame for insignificant fast rate of adoption. This particular piece of the puzzle in the push for digital IDs introduction has the effort to create centralized international standards at its core. And in this, the U.S. is not alone since right now there are multiple such attempts. This recent promote the EU to come out with a report supposed to help companies developing digital ID deal with the many standards. The struggle, as they say, is real. Back in 2017, cross-border banking stance was something on which giants like HSBC and Barclays joined forces with the EU. As for the current U.S. effort, the first step, the first step is for those with expertise and products to submit letters of interest, which must prove they support three mobile driver's license standards: ISO slash IEC slash 18018013-5 and 18013-7. The deadline for this is September 28th. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, this deadline is coming close and it's coming fast. By the end of this month, we'll know something. But, yeah, folks, like I reported on my last independent news report before I had my surgery, I mean, in New York State, they want to give us digital IDs so it stops un it stops minors from buying alcohol and cigarettes, which we know is completely a bullshit sham to begin with. Okay? It's a dumbass sham to begin with. Okay? What fucking corner store is going to implement digital IDs anyway? I mean, hell, have you been to a corner store in the state of New York lately? They look like shit. Okay? Most of them are in the ghetto anyway. And run down. They don't have any type of infrastructure. So how the fuck is a corner store going to implement this type of, of fucking thing? I mean, this is bullshit to begin with. And anybody that would implement that or even go along with this is completely stupid. Like, at any time, the electric grid can go out. Anytime anybody can hack those things. We all know anything that you post on the internet is hackable. So, I mean, this is complete nonsense that we even would go down this fucking route. It's really fucking dumb. The best way to actually do identification is to have a physical license. That's just the way I see it, folks. But anyway, folks, let's move on. So we got the pre-crime surveillance nightmare coming our way, folks. So let's see. Hold on a second. I gotta find out why I don't have this, uh, this whatchamacallit here. Hold on just a second. Looks like my uh, site unlogged me out. Sorry about this. Give me just a second, folks. Looks like the site for my independent news has locked me out for some strange reason. Give me just a second, folks. It's going to be just a second. To apologize for inconvenience here. And I do completely apologize. I'm logged in, but today it logged me out to all my freaking articles that I had for tonight's show for some strange reason. Mm -hmm. There we go. Alright, we are all set. Now we're good. Very good, folks. So let's jump into this article because I thought this article was amazing. So, Steven Spielberg 2002 movie Minority Report, which depicts a dystopian high-tech surveillance state, has become one of the most prophesied science-fi science fiction uh, movies of all time. The movie was released at a time when just 600 
664.5 million people use the internet, a figure that represents just 13.8% of today's internet users. And over a year before the launch of Facebook, a platform that helped to normalize surveillance advertising, yet the yet despite the relative infancy of the internet online surveillance industry at the time of its release, Minority Report still predicts the emergence of an eyeball scanning technology Crime-fighting robots target ads and mass surveillance long before they went mainstream. That is true. The movie was set in the year 2054, and at the time, its depiction of such a massive shift in technological surveillance over the course of 52 years was hard to imagine. Yet, just 21 years later, in the year 2023, face recognition is proliferating. Eyeball scanning orbs have arrived. The real-time target ads are starting to make their way into the physical world, crime-fighting robots are being deployed, and mass surveillance has become the norm. Yeah, folks, we're on the road to Minority Report for sure. While this rapid expansion in digital surveillance is horrifying, it pales in comparison to the movie's depiction of pre-crime. Pre-crime turns the foundation of the legal system that presumptions of, of innocence and on its head and assumes that crimes can be predicted before they occur. That is absolutely scary. It's called a thought crime, actually. So, <clears throat> it, it then extends their this premise to presume that someone can be guilty of a crime that they've never committed. A pre-crime because the available data has predicted that they'll go on to commit the crime if they aren't preemptively apprehended and charged. This terrifying idea of pre-crime was conceded long before the 2022 Minority Report movie. Philly K. Dick coined the term in his 1956 novel, The Minority Report, which the movie is loosely based on. In both of the novel and the movie, three precogs predict alleged crimes before they occur, and a specialized pre-crime law enforcement agency arrests suspects before they can commit these alleged crimes. Both stories are Cautiously tales about the utopia idea that almost all crime can't be eradicated if society surrenders its freedom and privacy to an all-seeing surveillance state. The novel depicts a world where pre-crime has eliminated almost all crime, whereas the movie presents a world where pre-crime has put an end to almost all premeditated murders. But behind the idea idealistic vision of pre-crime, there are cracks in the system. One of the three pre-crogs sometimes pursues a minority report, a prediction where the subject doesn't commit the alleged crime. The minority report undermines the pre-crime system and suggests that many people may have been wrongly arrested. And in both stories, those who have privileged access to the pre-crime system attempt to abuse it for personal gain. Yet, Despite the novel and movie containing clear warning about the many dangers of attempting to implement pre-crime systems, government and law enforcement agencies around the world have started making these systems a reality. In the U.S., pre-crime technology and strategies have been in use for years. The Department of Justice admits that some states have been sending letters to addresses of registered car owners when their car is seen in an area known for prostitution. This has been happening since 1982. Remember, these letters aren't being sent to people who have been charged or convicted for soliciting prostitutes. Their vehicle was just seen in an area where prostitutes are known to work. 
In 2009, the DOJ National Institute of Justice held its first predictable policing asylum, and multiple states now have predictable policing programs. Let's see. The Los Angeles Police Department used an evasive crime prediction tool for eight years. When it finally stopped using the tool in 2019, the LAPD seemingly had little concern about the implementation implications of using Orwellian surveillance tech against residents. Instead, the police department said the software was dropped due to it being ineffective. Uh, documents that were released in response to California Public Records Act requested revealed that the LAPD also trialed software in 2019 that surveils that social media and predicts whether people will commit crimes. This is absolutely ridiculous. In another state, New Orleans, the police department has tested Palantir's predictable policing technology, which analyzed social media to predict whether individuals will commit violence. Many other police departments across the country have also trialed or are currently using similar technology. Folks, our life is about to be miserable for the next, like, 100 years if this continues. Outside of the law enforcement, the tech giant Microsoft has pledged to the Biden White House that it will use pre-crime escalate AI to detect and prevent violence. And social workers in several states are using predicted algorithms to uh, decide whether parents should have children taken away. Wow. A similar story is playing out north of the border in Canada. Police in Canada, province of Saskatchewan, has been working on a predictable tool that scans social media since 2019. Let's keep it going. And in several cities in Canada are part of a situation tables program where schools, health providers, and police work together to flag people who are deemed to be at risk of becoming criminals or victims of crimes. This program has been active since 2011. The UK is another country that's sliding towards the dystopian nightmare envisioned in the Minority Report. In 2019, almost a third of UK police force were reported using predictive algorithms. Some of many examples of how the UK police force has deployed predictive policing technology, including testing an AI system that miners, that monitors Twitter for hate tweets, pre-crime, and using behavioral data to predict whether would-be offenders will commit crimes. Uh, Metropolis Police Commissioner Sir Mark has praised the latter predictable behavior data system and say, saying that it's providing, uh, proving impressive. Yeah, impressive and locking up innocent people for sure. The country's spy agency are also embracing their, this Orwellian technology. This pre-crime AI monitors contributors to extreme right-wing online forums, checks whether these contributors are also watching vital online videos, and then predicts whether these contributors could become terrorists. Even the UK private sector is getting involved. Train operators in the country are planning to deploy AI-powered surveillance cameras to detect potential threats and risky situations on trains. These cameras can supposedly detect how women who are sitting alone in carriages feel about men who sit next to them. Technology that purportedly predicts crime before it happens has also granted a foothold in Australia. Jesus Louise, folks. At least one Australian police force was in talks to use predictive policing technology in 2013, but by the mid to late 2010s, police in several Australian states had started to use the technology. 
police in the state of Victoria began using a secret pre-crime surveillance tool to create lists of potential criminals in 2016. Not only did they deploy this creepy tool, but they also praised its purpose, 95% accuracy rate, and predicted how many crimes 15-year-olds will commit by the time they turn 21. God damn. And folks, we're not even halfway through this yet. In 2017, a report revealed that the police in the state of New South Wales was using an algorithm to predict how likely people are to offend. And in 2020, the state of Victoria fully embraced the concept of pre-crime by passing a bill that allows the police to arrest anyone suspected of potentially committing a crime in the future. A discussion on the expansion of dystopia surveillance technologies wouldn't be complete without China, a country that is infamous for its social credit system, which mass surveils citizens and control what they are allowed to purchase. China has been deploying its pre-crime system since 2016 with the goal of predicting terrorist attacks before they occur. In 2017, the nation's security chief called for the greater use of surveillance and AI to predict and prevent terrorism, and in 2019, Chinese officials laid bare their ghastly intentions of targeting those who are on the edge of committing a crime. China's pre-crime surveillance system relies on vast tribes of data that are pulled from the internet, phone, surveillance cameras, purchase records, travel records, health records, and more. According to a leaked list of detainees that was obtained by Human Rights Watch, people can be flagged by the system and detained for a wide range of lawful, lawful behavior or immutable characteristics such as being young, born after the 80s, switching their phone off repeatedly, having a long beard, using certain types of software such as vital private networks, Gmail, WhatsApp, and Skype, and having extremist thoughts. Wow. The victim of the, victim of the Chinese government, oppressive pre-crime surveillance can be sent to a detention camp for thoughts transformation. Numerous people have documented the human rights abuse that take place inside the camps and the UN has said they may constitute international crime and particular crimes against humanity. Detainees are also subject to intense surveillance. Almost everything they do, including when they wake up, go to the bathroom, eat, sleep, is monitored. Up to 1.8 uh, Uyghurs and other ethnic Minorities are estimated to have been sent to these detention camps since 2017. We're almost done here, folks. We're almost done. This, uh, this proliferation of pre-crime technology fringes on numerous human rights. The right to be pursued innocent. Wait. The right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty according to law in a public trial is non-existent on a pre-crime system because people are flagged and detained when no crime is committed. The constant surveillance also indirectly erodes the right to freedom of expression because it creates an environment of fear where people self-censor to avoid being accused of pre-crime. Additionally, the system erodes the right to individual privacy because people are required to surrender vast amounts of personal data to feed these pre-crime systems. And the authorities that control the systems are incentivized to constantly expand the amount of data they collect to improve the predictable algorithms. But since the the Pandora's box of pre-crime has been opened, these privacy and civil liberties concerns have been ignored. Authorities have decided that the flaw idea that crime can be stopped before it happens is worth pursuing. In doing so, they, un they unleashed an oppressive 
constant expanding pre-crime dragnet on the populace where cruel, all-seeing algorithms unjustly inflict punishment on people who are assumed to be guilty of crimes they've never committed. Yeah, folks, and that's like going to be a huge problem going forward. That's going to be a very, very huge problem. Absolutely, it's going to be an absolute nightmare with this going forward, folks. It's going to be disgusting. It's absolutely going to be disgusting. But, folks, let me know what y'all think, man, because, like I said, man, I've reported on pre-crimes before, and it is disturbing. I mean, look at what they're doing in Ireland. I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. So, New York police to deploy drones to monitor Labor Day weekend parties, folks. So, the, new, the NYPD announced to deploy drones as an uninvited guest at private backyard gatherings this weekend. It continues to ignite a heat debate over personal freedom and privacy, a treacherous line that government authorities seem keen to cross as much as possible. Responding to complaints about large gatherings over the upcoming Labor Day celebration, Assistant NYPD Commissioner Kaz stated drones will come into play if a large group, if a large crowd, a large party in the backyard gets reported. This shocking move showcased a worried amount of overreach from the authorities, promoting criticism from privacy advocates and citizens who know the value of freedom. Indeed, it does feel as though we are living a dystopian sci-fi narrative with these police surveillance revelations. Is Mayor Eric Adams endorsing an eerie future where our every movement is monitored from the sky? Yes, he is, by the way. Alarmingly, the NYPD seems to be coy about disclosing this drone policy. A request for comment from Mayor Adams only received links to laid-back guidelines for private drone operations in the city. Is this preparation for when these silent observers become more commonplace in the urban skies? Well, I hate to tell you folks, but the sky is a public domain. So yes, these cops are allowed, constitutionally, they are allowed to fly these drones over your backyard. Because the airspace is a public square. Anybody named Mama can fly drones in the air. Anybody named Mama. Because the sky is a public, is a public place. It just is. It, there's there's no there's no constitutional there's no constitutional rule that says you cannot fly a drone in open airspace. It's just not. So actually, they do have the right to do this, which is absolutely completely asinine when you really think about it. But anyway, folks, let me know what y'all think about that article. So moving on, folks, we got one more article after this. So internet backbone provider Hurricane. Electric censoring Kiwi Farm sets a dangerous precedent, folks. So while the visible part of the internet domain by big tech is what most people think of when the topic of censorship is brought up, the problem reaches much deeper all the way to the internet backbone providers. One of these, Hurricane Electric, has reportedly decided to participate in somewhat roundabout way in order to get to Kiwi Farms. This Tier 1 IA ISP is particularly denying service to Crunchbits, a server provider. The case is a good example of the power that such ISP, despite their detached from the internet users mode of operation, have in declining what those users can and cannot do online. This is because a great number of services that are closer to the user depend on them. 
Infrastructure providers who take it upon themselves to police online speech are additionally dangerous as as pursuers of censorship because of their essential importance for the very functioning of the internet and the fact that there is little alternate to speak of. The Electric Frontier Foundation, EFF, noted while reporting about the Kiwi Farms case, the digital rights group verdict on this controversy activity of ISP is clear. Regardless of what kind of speech it is, they should not be the ones to suppress it. However, it seems that Hurricane Electric has decided to do just that. Even if the details are sketchy since the company does not want to respond to any questions related to the issue. However, EFF seems to believe that the crunch bits, which is the ISP direct customer, is indeed experiencing partial service denial targeting Kiwi farmers. And this is happening despite the fact that the site is in question is, as EFF pointed out, several steps away in the stack. It has been reported that hurricane justification for playing the role of censorship enabler of sorts is Kiwi Farms' violation of what is called its acceptable use policy. EFF remarked that if its own site or that of some mainstream social media platform or progressive group was treated this way, there would be outrage. But Kiwi Farm is described as an almost Universal with despised form for hateful speech and planning uh, vigorous, vigorous attacks on vulnerable people. And while EFS shares this sentiment, it does not agree with Hurricane's behavior. Once an ISP indicate it's willing to police content by blocking traffic, more pressure from the other quarters will follow. And they won't all share your views or values, the group is warning. So there you go, folks. You got an internet service provider literally blocking the Kiwi farmers. Blocking what they can do. This is an internet service provider, folks. This is not this is not like a government. This is not the police. This is not even the FBI. This is an internet service provider doing this. So folks, like I said, man, we gotta build a decentralized internet. Otherwise, we're toast. I'm serious, man, because these internet service providers are going to go in line with censorship as well. It's going to get to that point. And we got to be ready, folks. We definitely have to be ready. For sure. But anyway, folks, let me know what y'all think about that article. And last but not least, we got the UN published final draft of declaration that targets misinformation backs the World Health Organization pandemic tree. So, the United Nations is no fan of free speech. We all know this. And one of its plans to address so-called misinformation, disinformation, hate speech, stigma, stigmatization is on the verge of being finalized. This unelected intergovernmental organization, which wields significant influence over its 193 member states, recently published the final draft of its political declaration of the United Nations General Assembly high-level meeting on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. The final draft contains several agreements from head of state and government to crack down on lawful speech. Additionally, it contains pledges from these heads of states and government to back two instruments that will give the UN World Health Organization, the WHO, enhanced powers to target misinformation, built out its surveillance network. These instruments, the International Pandemic Treaty and amendments to the International Health Regulation of 2005 have been in the works since 2021 despite facing major 
pushback are on track to be completed by May of 2024. The final draft of this political declaration is being deployed for the UN high-level meeting on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response, which will take place on September 20, 2023. And folks, that is less than 16 days away. The political declaration outline in this draft will be finalized at this meeting. While UN political declarations aren't usually legally binding, they do wield significant legal influence, according to the UN. Declarations represent the dynamic development of international legal norms and reflect the commitment of states to move in certain directions, abiding by certain principles. The proposal speech crackdowns are outlined in several sections of the final draft of this uh, political declaration. In section OP35, the heads of state and government agreed to take measures to counter and address the negative impact of health-related information, disinformation, hate speech, and stigmatism, especially on social media platforms and counter vaccine hesitation in the context of pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. Additionally, section OP42 includes an agreement to combat misinformation. The UN member states Back the pandemic tree in section OP15 agreed to encourage the intergovernmental, uh, what is that, navigating body, the group that's responsible for drafting and negotiating the pandemic tree, to conclude their negotiation on the WHO, the World Health Organization, convention, agreement, or other international instruments on pandemic prevention. Preparedness and response, the full name of the WHO's pandemic treaty. Not only do the UN member states give explicit back into the pandemic treaty and push for it to be finalized, but they are also encouraged to intergovernmental uh, navigating body, IMB, to prioritize need for equity. Equity is framed by its proponents as something that encourages fairness, but, have, but critics have warned that equity polices can lead to bias and injection of radical ideology. The support for the amendments to the International Health Regulation, IHR, is contained, is contained in section OP16 of the final draft. This section encourages the working group that focuses on the amendments to continue its work with respect to the intended finalization date of May 2024. The political declaration is one of the many ways the UN is tightening its grip on speech. This year alone, it has stated, building additional armies to fight against deadly mis. Deadly disinformation encouraged people to snitch on each other for hate speech and claiming that censoring disinformation and hate speech will protect free speech. Yeah, fucking right. The UN has also consulted with several governments that and blocks on their censorship work. Specifically, it has attended multiple disinformation sessions with the UK government censorship agency, held discussion with the European Union on how to address disinformation on digital platforms. So there you go, folks. United Nations. Coming for your free speech, folks. They're trying to close her out. Disinformation and misinformation. And they're trying to tell you what is true, folks. What gives them the authority and the right to tell you? An unelected body, by the way. United Nations is not elected, by the way. We didn't elect any of these people. They were just appointed these positions. They were just appointed these positions. They, they weren't elected. We didn't vote these people in. Nothing. These individuals that are appointed to these positions at the United Nations, guess what? They think they have the authority over the rest of the 8 billion of us. You have got to be a moron if you actually believe this shit. That the United Nations 
the one entity that we did not vote for, right, has the authority over what is true from what is not true. Who the fuck is the United Nations to tell me what's true from what's not? So what you want to tell me? That air doesn't exist and I have to believe you because you're the United Nations? Are you a fucking moron? <laughs> you're going to tell me that, oh, well, vaccines, all vaccines are safe. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're not. They're not at all. Go read any white paper of what's inside of any vaccine and you tell me if, it, if, if the ingredients that are inside of vaccines are safe or not for your body. Because I almost can guarantee you 99.9% of them are not. 100%. 100%. I mean, go read Pfizer's freaking white paper if you don't believe me. I mean, Pfizer said it themselves. These vaccines don't work. They admitted it themselves. Johnson & Johnson admitted it too. So did Moderna. So when people are telling me vaccines work, then why does the, then why did any of these companies come out and say that they don't work? They're not safe and effective. Come on, man. Seven months? You create a vaccine in seven months? Really? Well, we know it takes 10 years to make a vaccine to make sure and test to make sure it works properly. But you created a vaccine in seven months. So I'm supposed to trust that this thing works? I mean, that's completely asinine. That's completely dumb. That's completely stupid. Like, anybody that believes that shit is complete moron in my eyes. That's just, that's just dumb. Right? And folks, we gotta keep an eye out this for this treaty. This World Health Organization pandemic treaty. Because I'm telling you right now, the United States is already sold out to the World Health Organization. We all know that. But, for a lot of you country, people that are in Europe, in the European Union and all that, Australia and stuff like that, your country's been sold out too. You know, they're gonna sign this treaty, folks. And once they do, your health belongs to the World Health Organization. That means anything that, that they deem not right, you as a global citizen will have to pay for. You might have to pay with your life. You might have to go to prison time. You might have to pay a fine. But folks, life is about to change for the worst. I'm telling you right now, it's about to be bad out here, folks. It's really about to be bad. It's going to make the minority report look like a goddamn fucking carnival compared to what the life we're about to live over the next 20 to 30 years. This thing is about to get way, way worse. But this is your boy, Nightmare K-Hawk, folks. I'm going to continue doing these podcasts, crypto gaming, and also independent news to bring you this information, folks. Again, this article, this uh, podcast will be out on Wednesday at 3 a.m. Eastern, 12 a.m. Pacific. Yes, folks, I am back full time now that I have my tumor taken out of my body, um, so that was good, they did discover that tumor, so it was actually good that that box did bruise my lung, because otherwise I wouldn't have known about this tumor, but uh, glad we got it out of there, and I'm recovering, um, hopefully get back to work next month, we'll see what the cardiologist has to say um, in a couple weeks when I go visit him, and uh, we'll go from there folks, but yeah, uh, crazy times folks, we live in very crazy times, you know, all the censorship, surveillance tools that they're using absolutely ridiculous folks um like i said uh i'm doing my job out here in this freedom and truth movement doing the best i can and i'm only scratching the surface folks for a lot of truthers that seek the truth and things like that and love freedom for what it truly is uh we're just doing our part we're just doing our part we're not in this to make money we're not in this to have a million subscribers or whatever you know I'm fine with the 40 or 50 subscribers I have currently, which is great. I love all of you. I don't care if you're LGBT. I don't care if you're 
a man or a woman, it doesn't bother me. I just want you folks to share the content, get it out to people because it's very important that people know what is going on. Because a lot of people are blind to what's happening. You know, they have eyes, but they don't see anything because they never used them before. That's one of the biggest quotes I love from the first Matrix when Morpheus told Neo, when Neo asked, why does my eyes hurt? Well, it's because you never used them before. And for a lot of people in the United States that I can speak of, because this is where I live, is this, is that Americans are blind. They've never used their eyes before. Like, they really have never used their eyes before. And that's why when they, when they, when their eyes are open to the truth, they are wondering why their eyes hurt so much. It's because you never used them before. That's why. You know, so, I mean, I had this experience when I was in my teens, you know, I was wondering why my eyes were hurting. And it's because I was blind to the truth. And then when I got my eyes finally was really open, I was actually using them for a change. Like, yeah, you know, I got the same explanation. You never used them before. That's why. So it is what it is, folks. But anyway, I'm going to get the hell out of here. I'm going to play some more video games, listen to some more podcasts, and I'll probably go to bed. Anyway, folks, again, this podcast will be out on Wednesday, 3 a.m. Eastern, 12 a.m. Pacific. And uh, make sure you share the content, folks. But this is your boy, Nightmare K. Hawk, signing out. Peace.